actually been the other way around. You, you guys have been a real blessing to us, and it's really been an honor and a privilege to, to know you and to be part of, uh, part of your family. Uh, we, have, we have really enjoyed working together in the things that we have worked together in, and there's going to be more. <laughs> there's going to be more. So thank you so much for allowing me to come, and thank you so much for allowing Pastor Byron to go down there. Yeah, it's, uh, he got there before I left, and uh, so I said, okay, I leave you in the lion's den. <laughs> well, I, I actually didn't vocalize, verbalize that. I just said, it. no, no, he's going to be all right. <laughs> and uh, and I've, I've also been um, following some of, the, some of the things that Pastor Byron has been sharing, thanks to the Internet and to your wonderful webmaster. You have a real good webmaster here. And uh, I've listened to quite a few of his messages on grace, and I, I have been taught as, as a result. So it's, uh, I, I don't take this opportunity to stand here lightly, because I know that he has been sharing a word which is uh, from the Lord. And uh, I, I'm in the habit of saying this, and I, I don't say this... Uh, Jokingly, I say this very seriously. If I say anything from this pulpit which doesn't line up with what you have been taught by the person who stays with you all the time, take what he says and leave what I say. Amen. Because a lot of times, you know, we can come and cause a lot of confusion in a church. If I say anything that will confuse you, don't worry about that. Listen to what your pastor says. He is the one who has been charged with the responsibility of shepherding you on a daily basis. Not me. Amen. And it is true that, you know, we can... A lot of times, you know, you can come into a church and, and you can... You see, when you are unrestrained by the responsibility of shepherding a, a, a ministry every day, you can say anything. Okay? So, and there is also something which... You know, preachers here, you know, Pastor Jim can tell you this. There's something called pulpit dynamics. There's something that happens here. There's an invisible energy here that can just make you say things. And when you go home, you know, you start thinking, why was I saying that? What had possessed me to say things like that? You know, and, uh, and, and you know, I think a lot of anyone who has ever preached can relate to this. That after Sunday, there's a few days of walking in private shame. You know, and uh, until there's four or five people who call you and say that was powerful, then you kind of pretend like you knew it all along that it was powerful. Yeah. <laughs> no matter how confident you are, you know, there's. Afterwards, there's always that. Was that really of the Lord? You know, and I, and I think it's of God. I mean, it's a, it's a checking because you know you, you you should never say anything to God's people lightly. You know, so it's a, so even even after you know you get excited, you must know that there's also a, you should pray for your pastor on Monday. Amen. No, I, I really mean that. You really should. This, that's the time when, in fact, if, you, if there's a day that you set aside to pray for your pastor, pray for him on Monday and on Saturday. And I'll tell you why Saturday. 
Because Saturday is getting ready. You know, well, you know, some people are conscientious. They start getting ready at the beginning of the week and all that. But I know that Saturday is a critical day because it's checking to find out, you know, do, 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 have I, do I have everything that I need to, to speak to the church? That's usually when the phone calls come and somebody tells you something that just puts you in such a foul mood for the next 48 hours. So Saturday is a day to pray for your pastor. Then Monday after he has delivered the message, pray for him because a lot of people want to resign on Monday. Okay? And, uh, and even if you have something to... You know, this is, my, this is my, my family, so I can say what I want. And, and today I'm going to, you know, uh, uh, preach the most disjointed message that I've ever preached. Because I found that those are the most useful. So I'm going to say what I, you know, what I feel like saying, all right? All right, and then, and then we'll read the scripture. But uh, really, pray for, pray for your pastor on Monday because even if he says something that kind of doesn't sit well with you, wait, wait until Wednesday before you call him. Okay? Wait until Wednesday. And, and that also gives you the opportunity, first of all, to pray for him. And you'll be so surprised that as you are praying for him, God will show you some things about you. Amen. And by the time Wednesday comes around, you might not make that call after all. Or you might, but if you do it, it will be in the right spirit. And you will have had some time to recover from the Monday letdown. It's a very, very serious thing. So pray for your pastor on Monday. Amen. That's the time when, you know, he's trying to relax. And sometimes, you know, we take Mondays off and so on. But you never really relax in your spirit on Monday. I never do. You know, by the end of that day, of Monday, I'm usually almost depressed. You know, so pray for me as well as you are praying for your pastor. <laughs> On Monday. Just, just lump us in there. Amen. So God is good. Let's, let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Matthew. Chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27 from from verse 26. We're going to read quite a few verses from this section. Verse 26 says, Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. And they stripped him and put him on a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Let's stop right there and we'll carry on with, with it. Let, let's pray. Father God, we thank you even for the word this morning. We ask, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts and or whatever area needs to be touched, whatever area needs to be changed, you would do so this morning. 
But most importantly, Lord, I, I, I pray, Lord, that uh, even as the praise and worship team sang, that we would see I am. That we would see I am. We would see I am. Cause us to see, to behold Him, and not ourselves. Thank you, Father, for doing that for us this morning. Just enabling us, opening our eyes, the eyes of our hearts and the eyes of our spirits to see the great I am. Thank you, Father, because when we do that, then we ourselves are transformed. Glorify your name this morning. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Let me tell you a little story about my son. Uh, My my wife and I have a little boy who is uh, four, four and a half years old. And uh, he loves his sisters, you know. He really loves his sisters. And Monday is uh, possibly as depressing for him as it is for Pastor Byron and myself. Anyway, uh, he wakes up Monday mornings and the sisters have gone to school. That upsets him. And you know, for a long time he was harassing me and my wife is saying, Mommy, Daddy, I want to go to school. And you know, and, and for a long time, you know, we'd say to him, listen, you'll go next year. You're still too young. You'll go next year, you know. Then this year, uh, we say to him, uh, okay, Kennedy, you're going to go to school. And he was so excited when we told him that. He said, yeah, I'm going to go to school. And he has this little song that he sings. I'm going to go to school. Yeah, I'm going to. You know? And um, so what we meant by you're going to go to school is that we're going to homeschool him. So that was the first letdown when he found out that, you know, it was actually mommy primarily and daddy helping, taking him upstairs to his room sitting him down and teaching him some things. So, you know, he was disappointed a little bit when he found out that was school. But, you know, as, you know, children, uh, you know, after a couple of days, he, oh, and in fact, this very same day that her mom, his mom uh, began uh, teaching him, he, you know, he, he forgave us. And he was enjoying it again, you know. And at first it was a wonderful thing, you know, to teach him uh, the vowels, you know. A apple, yeah, elephant, E Indian, and all that, and 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 you know he couldn't wait to tell me after he got the vowels. Daddy, daddy, I can do the vowels. See, we do do them differently in Zimbabwe, so it was a learning experience for us too. Because we, we the way we do it, we do it when we are taught our vowels, we do them in our language. Well, actually, we do it the way we would pronounce things in our language instead of doing it in English. So, so we, we say A, A, E, O, U. Where you say, can somebody help me here? A, I, E. And, 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 and the U is an uh, umbrella. Right, something like that. So anyway, so when I'm with him, I know how to do it. But anyway, you know, so he can say the alphabet. You know, he can say the vowels and he can say the alphabet. Do the numbers from 1 to 20 and, you know, to 100 with a little bit of help. And after one week, two weeks, you know, he was still having fun. Then he discovered the real meaning of school. And man, this is hard work. 
And you know, he gets so excited to repeat something and then he discovers his mom wants him to do it ten times, the same thing over and over again. And he gets things real quickly. So to him, that's the most annoying thing. And he will tell his mom, but I just did that. And mom says, do it again. So now, you say, Kennedy, it's time for school. Daddy, I'm tired. (laughs) So he has discovered the true meaning of school. Amen. And, you know, some of us need to discover the true meaning of life. And unfortunately, a lot of times, you know, even in our churches, we don't necessarily prepare people for life. Everyone say, that's how life is. There are some things about life that are unchangeable. There are some things that you cannot remove from life. The thing that needs to change is you, not necessarily your circumstances. And, and, and it's, it's, that's a very difficult thing to come to terms with. That, uh, you know, after we have said all and jumped up and down, we charismatics or Pentecostals or whatever you want to call us, after we have jumped up and down and gotten all excited and everything, and we believe in the power of God, the discovery that God does not necessarily change our circumstances is a shock. And it's so discouraging to a lot of people. And there are a lot of people who want to give up as a result. Amen. And no matter how much we may want to pretend, and you, you know, the Lord has been doing something in, in, in my heart, and, and, and I'm, I'm going to share it exactly the way it is. I believe in prayer. I believe that you can pray for a dead person and they can come back to life. And I believe also that there are times when you will pray for somebody who is sick and they will die. People were prepared to say amen, and then I said that, and then... I could feel the amen kind of coming and it did and it stopped. It was caught in there by something, you know. But it's true. It is true. Because if I were to ask you today if there are some people that you have prayed for who have died, you will raise your hand. But it's so difficult to say amen to that. But it is true. There are people that you have prayed for and you have prayed for them in faith. And you have wanted them to live because you love them so much. And they have still what? Died. And you know that they believe God too. It's kind of bad news for Pentecostals and Charismatics. Because you just start thinking, you know, you you start thinking not just about praying for somebody who is dead, but some of the things that you yourself have been believing God for. And you start saying, well, if that is true, then I'm in real trouble. No, you're not in trouble. What needs to change is us, primarily. Not necessarily our circumstances. So, we're always coming to church to hear this gospel that says, when there's a storm that's raging, command it in the name of Jesus. And when you say, storm, be thou quiet, the storm will be quiet. And then you get into the storm, and you say, I command you in the name of Jesus. And man, this thing becomes worse. Amen. And then you start thinking, well, perhaps I left the, huh? 
And then you say, ha! Nothing doing. Amen. Some storms in our lives are there because of the purpose that God has put us on this earth. And those storms must come for the fulfillment of the thing that God put us on this earth for. Amen. Because if that particular storm doesn't come, then the thing for which the Lord set you here will never come to pass. So here is a young man called Joseph. He's so excited because he has, he has had a, a dream, that, you know, a couple of dreams that he can actually remember when he wakes up. And in the dream, something has happened in this dream, which he has just been dreaming, you know, he has been waiting for this day to arrive. When this natural hierarchy is upended and the little one, you know, some of us don't understand what it means to be the youngest. I am the last one in my family. And in the culture where I come from, I can tell you what that means. So when we used to, you know, when we would have dinner, the plate would be set there. And, and in our culture, the oldest always picked the, the meat first. So all the choice meat always went to the elder. And if you were the last one, you always got the smallest piece. My sister is laughing. She can relate to it. Amen. So you always used to watch when it came now to getting the meat. And you see your brother getting the thigh. And you're like, wow. Why is he not merciful? And it goes down the line until it gets to you. And you always get the smallest. In some of these cultures where age is venerated, you know, it's... Life is very, very difficult when you are the youngest. So you can imagine there are some dreams that you... It is a day that you can't wait for. It is that day when the oldest bows to you. Right? Amen. And then you have a dream that actually says that is what is going to happen. And you make the mistake of sharing it. And all hell breaks loose. Now you start thinking. Now here is what you start thinking. And there are some people in here that need to hear this. You start thinking, was that dream coming out of the things that I have always desired? Or was that dream from God? Amen. And there are some people right now who are going through that. There are a lot of things that you have, uh, you have, uh, you know, you have, you have been saying this is of God. And then after you have had the dream, there is so much opposition. There are so many terrible things that are going on. And you start thinking, well, perhaps, and perhaps you go to a psychiatrist or you watch Dr. Phil. And, and Dr. Phil says, to somebody who is there, he says, you know something, that, that dream that you had, it was just coming out of a desire that you have. To see this social thing upended, surely it wasn't of God. Stop, forget it, wipe, wipe that dream out of your consciousness. It's not of God. And I tell you, if you look at the circumstances, you will believe that. Amen. Because look at this young man called Joseph. Now, he's being sold to the Midianites. 
and he's going to, you know, to uh, far away from the people that were supposed to bow to him. All the way to Egypt. And he gets there, and there's a little bit of promotion, and he starts thinking, perhaps what this meant is that, you know, in a foreign land, all these people, and I'm a slave, things are going to be changed, and so on, I'm going to rise up, and then he's falsely accused. And there are some people who are going through that right now. Feeling the false accusations of people. He dashes the dream again. Ends up in prison. Then when he's in prison, you know, at least he realizes that there's something inside of him that he can still use. He has another dream. You know, he has... A, he has the people in there have a dream and he interprets the dream because he feels the spirit of God in him. But there's all this doubt at the same time. Is this really God? Is God really working in my life? Do I really have the spirit of God? That thing is going on. Because the dream that he had back in his father's place is what mattered the most to him. Anyway, he interprets this dream. This dream comes to pass. And, And you know, but he's still stuck in prison. And he starts asking, what is the point? And there are some people who are asking that question right now. What is the point? I am so anointed. And when I interpret dreams, they come to pass. But look at my circumstances. I am still in prison. What is the point? Amen. I said earlier that the things that you are going through, your circumstances have something to do with the fulfillment of God's purpose for your life. Amen. And sometimes they have to remain that way until God himself lifts you from them. So at the right time, God lifts Joseph up. And that which he dreamt, which seemed to be coming out of his own desires, was fulfilled. Now let's look at Jesus. Here is the Son of God. What is the overriding purpose of the Son of God to save the world? How do you save the world? You've got to get to the cross. That's how you save the world. You've got to get to the cross. And how do you get to the cross? You don't just get born, live with a silver spoon in your mouth, and then somebody just comes and just says, "Mm, mm." There has to be a reason for you to be nailed to the cross. So there are all these circumstances that are created around him which are very, very painful. And there's all the mockery and everything so that he might get to the cross which is the overriding purpose. Some people need to find out what God's overriding purpose for their lives is. Because if you know what the overriding purpose of your life is, you are going to bear everything that the devil throws against you. Because there is an overriding purpose for your life. Amen. So, let's read on now. And it says, verse 28, And they stripped him and put him on a scarlet robe. And when they had planted a a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and they read in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Verse 30, And they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. And after that they had mocked him, they took the robe off from him and put put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. And they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they were come, you, you, have you ever noticed that there are some people who will kind of like, it's, it's like they're feeling sorry for you, for the things that you're going through. 
but even their pity mocks you. They, 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 they even they kind of help you, not out of the torment, but help you within the torment. They have no solution that brings you out. They are not saying to Jesus, we are not going to crucify you anymore. They are saying, this man is going to help you carry the cross on which we are going to crucify you. Amen. And, and you go through life, honestly, seriously, we want to talk about life today. And you go through life encountering people who only help you this... And, and you know, if you are in ministry, you can relate to this. Because you are going to encounter people and it seems so wonderful and everything and you're like, oh, I'm out of trouble now because I have met so and so. Amen. And guess what? You discover really that you're not out of... The circumstances are not going to change. You're only being helped so much so that you can reach the cross. And we as individual human beings, we cannot take that. That is so difficult. Because at some point, Simon of Cyrene is going to walk away. Amen. He is definitely not going to go on to the cross with you. Amen. He will help you. But he will, and he was a wonderful man. But he will help you to the extent that it does not take you away from God's overriding purpose for your life. Amen. And you will still need to go to the cross. So it says, verse 33, And when they were come unto a place called Golcotta, that is to say a place of, skull, of a skull, they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall, and when he had tasted thereof, he could not drink. They gave him vinegar mingled with gall, and when he had tasted thereof, he could not drink times when it looks like they're bringing a cup of water <laughs> and you are thirsty <coughs> and you taste it it's not even water it's vinegar and it's not just vinegar it's vinegar mixed with bitter gall and you even become thirstier there's some help that makes you even thirstier it makes you even more frustrated you are praising God, you are saying, at long last, relief. And the relief comes to make it worse. Amen. The walk of obedience is not an easy walk. Amen. It's not. So he couldn't drink because obviously this was bitter girl, this was too much for him. And then it goes on and it says, and they crucified him. And parted his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. You see, this is, this is, this is where it gets it's kind of a mixture, Sister Becky. It's exciting and painful at the same time. You know? That the prophets actually said, you know, we have a church which is so expecting to be indulged by a prophetic word. So full of expectation of a, of a prophetic word that it has got something to do with this modern lifestyle which does not want to go through hard things. Something to do with that. So we are so expecting somebody to come and tell us a wonderful word that just, man, this is 
Wonderful. So easy and everything is going to be honky-dory. But if you go back into your life, you are going to discover that there are some things which a prophet said which you didn't pay attention to. What you paid attention to was the exciting thing. What you didn't pay attention to was the thing that will really bring you to the cross and all the circumstances surrounding the fulfillment of God's purpose for your life. All those things are very difficult to to take. Amen? So, you know, God will tell you you are going to be a great man. How were great men made in the Bible? But let me ask that question again. So God tells you, you are going to be a great man. How were great men made in the Bible? Huh? They were made through adversity. Amen. There is no one who happened upon greatness in the Word of God who didn't face adversity. It is not true. It's not scriptural. It's not in the Bible. Every great man in God's Word faced adversity. The thing that changed was their attitude. The adversity was all around them and they still became great in spite of the adversity. And perhaps because of the adversity. Amen. Every great man, there is not a single one, every great woman in the Bible was great because they overcame adversity. The work of the cross was internal. It was not, external, it was not the surrounding circumstances. It was in their hearts. And when it was accomplished in their hearts, they could face anything in Jesus' name. And you and I need to be able to come to that point where we can say, we will face anything in Jesus' name. Anything that the enemy throws at us, we will face it as long as God's overriding purpose for our lives is what we are pursuing. We'll face anything. Life is difficult. Let nobody tell you otherwise. Amen. But greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. The one that is in us will always triumph. He always will. 